0: started. Okay well welcome to today's episode of InfoSec Journeys. Ashley and I are super excited today to be joined by Ashish Rajan. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Ashish you've got such a a real passion for information security. Uh, I know you work heavily in the security compliance space, you founded your own InfoSec businesses, you've got your own InfoSec podcast, and you live and breathe this kind of uh, environment. And we're super excited to peel you open, find out how all that got started, where all this passion comes from. No doubt, talk about your epic beard that you've grown in the in the course of your career as well, which I'm, I'm super jealous of. Um, so before we dive in and talk about where you got started, how you got motivated, et cetera, let me throw over to you. Tell us who you are and what you're all about, sir.
1: Sure, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Colin and Ashley. Um, so love the opportunity and uh, love the community as well. So, as, so for me, I started my career in uh, identity and access management of all places. I did a bachelor's in uh, engineering. And my, the first thing that happened after I did my bachelor's of engineering was my Hotmail got hacked. Not sure how many people still remember Hotmail, but that kind of gives you the age. Uh, so that was a motivation for me to kind of start exploring what is this thing? How did he or she, whoever the person was, got my, so that got my, I guess, uh, curiosity going with, with the whole hacking stream. Um, funny enough, uh, a couple of years later, I did a master's and I thought, okay, pen testing is going to be the thing for me. Then I realized I have to read a manual, and that pretty much at that point I'm like, "No, fuck it! I just, I just can't read a manual. <laughs> this is this is not me." So I took the other path of going. I got an internship for an identity and access management, um, uh, I guess, internship program. Started doing internship in the well, a company called CA Technologies, which doesn't exist anymore actually, and um, slowly moved towards cloud security. Did security architecture for some time. Did SOC. Uh, managed a SOC team, uh, started participating in a startup, which was a startup out of here in Melbourne. A uh, few of us decided that cloud is the future and we want to invest in it. So invested six years uh, into it, grow the team from me, the little old me and my boss to, we. before I left, we were 30 people uh, in security and I think we were 400 people in total in the company uh, within a span of four years with offices in Singapore. US and what, we, were, we were opening one in Dublin, but COVID happened. So yeah, um, now I work as the head of security for a company called Pager. Awesome. Nice. How,
0: how did you, so it, that's fascinating, right? Because you were with a group of guys out in Melbourne and throughout your conversations and your knowledge, you were like, cloud is the way to go. How did you know that? Like, how did you spot that opportunity
1: to develop I think that it it's a great question, actually, and I, I, I still feel I haven't been able to find a great, great answer for it, but I, it took me a couple of years to actually find a, an answer, which I still feel doesn't justify the passion that I saw in people around me. Um, so the people that I was working with, the ones that started a startup, we were the first company, or oh, I guess the founders were the first folks to move their website into cloud, into AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services, for people who may not know, and um, it that was a moment that when we were talking about it it became like crystal clear why would you not do this mm. um, and the, the the whole conversation about oh it's so much more cheaper in cloud and it's so much automation can be done like you don't have to wait for hardware for like i don't know like the fastest that i heard that i got was 40 days for a piece of hardware um for some people may laugh at this like what are you talking about like right now you just swipe a credit card and you get i don't know like a <laughs> 15 GB RAM or 50 GB RAM and just a matter of how much you want to pay for it. But there, there used to be this world, I'm sure uh, you, you guys would have seen it as well, where it's on to have to do capacity management was a meeting that I had to sit into to talk about how much capacity do I need for the rest of the year? And I have to ha- estimate enough that I can withstand my peak performance. So conversations like those were not a thing in cloud. That's what fascinated me. And Coming from a security angle, I think the, because I run a, um, I used to host the meetup called DevSecOps meetup, which we, unfortunately, because of the COVID thing, we haven't done any physical meetups, but we probably want to do online meetups. But the, the whole idea behind automating security and the fact that, uh, that allowed me to venture into other parts of security, which which was not accessible for me before. Coming from an identity and access management background, you're basically working in the I- IAM field and you're not going out anywhere because you get pigeon-boxed into it. But cloud made it, enable, uh, made it possible that identity became the crown jewel to access this kingdom. And that was my entry into security architecture for cloud. That was my entry into like SOC teams, threat intelligence and like, so to your point, that's where I'm like, oh my God, this is my opportunity to expand and not just be that identity guy forever.
0: That's so, so true, isn't it? Because when I when I look at the cloud, like um, I've got some experience with Azure, um, but not necessarily AWS or GCP, et cetera. But I think, and I, I, I recently had a look at all of the, kind of features of AWS um, and, you know, the, the respective kind of security side of uh, of managing the cloud. And I was a little bit bamboozled. I was like, oh my God, there's so many products here and there's so many different naming conventions and solutions and, you know, areas of um, this infrastructure. But then actually when I boiled it down, if you, I feel like if you can understand three key things, um, first being like data arrest encryption, and then second being network security and uh, you know, security hygiene, like firewall rules and stuff. And then the third, most important, as you said there, is identity access management, right? So if you've got the capability to manage properly and securely um, that identity access into into this environment, it's a massive... It's a, You're almost you, like the kind of gatekeeper, the keys to the kingdom, you know, yep. able to control that environment and have a real good wrap around it. Because I feel like... I'm waffling here, but I feel like... Some businesses who are embracing the cloud like they 're not fully cloud they haven 't moved everything over they 've got a little bit of both and they 're sitting in yep. both camps. like they the cloud's a little bit like the Wild West for them at the moment and I think companies that go eat, like all in like you know if their people are focused on the cloud and stuff then you, you, you have that kind of good wrap around it I guess out of this waffle my question to you is what what kind of challenge do you see businesses facing when they're moving to the cloud i feel like i feel like people have been saying fucking move into the cloud for the past 10 years yeah yeah cloud transformation
1: yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah oh my god digital transformation cloud <laughs> transformation yeah some you people name made it. a lot of
0: money out of this for, and, 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 oh yeah 100 work yeah
1: so. oh my god 100 percent. and there were people who would help you Realize digital transformation. I'm like, I don't know what that does, but they don't do anything technical. But they just tell you how you can digital trans- digitally transform. But if you look at the slide deck, the the one message that comes across is move to cloud or move to API model. That was the digital transformation. I'm like, you what? We paid fifty grand for this. <laughs> they could have just told us on the phone call. But 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 to, to your point, there are still people who haven't moved, and I think I believe the reason for this is also um, even though we. Talk about there's so much compute available. Sometimes there's still not enough compute available for certain technology. Like, for example, uh, if you're talking about the banking sector, there is not enough compute for mainframe on cloud yet. Mm-hmm. You just cannot move it. Like, they're still trying to work through it. They're trying to create their own hardware to address it, but they haven't been able to work that out. So, those guys would always be hesitant. Plus, obviously, there is the whole data sovereignty thing as well. Like, for example, uh, coming from, uh, I guess, I was gonna say across the ditch for you guys, but it's not even across the ditch. It's like they're across the continent for <laughs> Melbourne and dislike. um So for us over here, Australia is in Australia, and New Zealand, Australia is the only uh, country where there's a data center from AWS. Whereas Microsoft has a data center both in Australia and New Zealand. So to your point about Azure, someone who's looking at Azure might pick Azure over AWS because just for data sovereignty, in New Zealand, uh, if they want to keep the data in New Zealand, they just have to go to Azure. They can't go anywhere else. Mm. So they want to move to cloud, but there's restrictions. So there are people who are at different stages of digital transformation, quote-unquote. And um, the way they've kind of gone about is it's kind of like the, the kind of two models. One is the lift and shift model, where basically just, as it sounds like, you lift something from data center, place it exactly as it is onto the cloud. It's probably not the best thing because it costs, It would definitely cost you more and it would definitely not be a great experience for your overall team because they feel like they're in the cloud but with handcuffs on because you can't really move this piece. The other piece to transformation is where you transform the entire application into microservices and you talk about, let's use cloud native services as people call it. What is it the cloud is providing me that I can use so that I can just completely get rid of a web server. I can completely get rid of a load balancer. I can completely get rid of a firewall thing or a proxy. Like that's kind of what I feel is the stage that certain companies are in. And to your point uh, about why some people are still talking about uh, moving to the cloud is also because a lot of people went into it and said, "Oh fuck, it's too expensive, don't go there. They told all their friends about it and all those friends are not going in. They basically yeah. said, ah, you know, Joe Bloch told me that it's a bad idea. He ended up spending millions on it and he didn't like, and he, he was totally saving money. So that's yeah, one that's reason the thing. Well. I
0: think if you don't understand like the nature of how the billing structure works, how you're actually gonna pay for these services, uh you've got to go into it with your eyes wide open haven't you and under, you know have a real kind of grip on it because the perception of how much it's going to cost you can definitely definitely put you off i, I mean even in like the personal space people are spinning up little uh instances to do you know SQL queries or whatever you know or a bit of yeah. brute forcing and stuff like that and all of a sudden you forget about your you know, aws instance you've left running for a little while and then you get a big massive massive bill at the end of it well that, that's the that's all day you know you you knew what you were kind of getting into when you signed up for it you should you pay more yeah. attention yeah i
1: guess i think i think it's scary as well i, I you know i mean all sorts of us are professionals as well so i can probably talk in another example where you know the capability or oh, sorry the capacity management meeting that i was talking about earlier where there was a procurement process you're like oh my god i need to get these uh, x number of machines and in. in the cloud there is no procurement process right yeah. as, as an individual you just can uh you if your company says, sorry, you can't go to cloud, you're like, okay, fuck it. i will just go to swipe my credit card and start putting research. I'm going to, that's going to be my dev environment because I hate working on this laptop, <laughs> the crappy old laptop that the company gave me, right? And all I have to do is just SSH into this box and I'm, I get access to 16 GB RAM and whatever. Yeah. And that's actually scary as well, if you think about it from a security perspective, because you're like, that you, you don't have any idea how much of shadow IT has been created in cloud in your company. And there is no way you would find out because they would have used their personal email for it. Mm. So unless you do like a OS in it project that Ashley was part of uh, to find out all the missing shadow IT in cloud, that could be one way. But yeah, that's that's kind of like where uh, it, it it definitely makes me nervous. I'll just say that.
0: Yeah. Well, a
1: lot of vendors make a lot of
2: money doing that. So those types of solutions. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, a couple things for me, Azure or Azure? Yeah. Oh. Which one is it?
0: Uh, because i say
2: i say azure and then i i I spoke to someone at microsoft in the week and they were like it's azure i'm like is it are you sure
1: yeah are you azure i I am azure uh but to your point i I know a few of the microsoft guys and they all say azure and i'm like azure uh sure yes it's azure because az or (laughs) az or like you know it's one of those ones like tomato tomato kind of a thing it's like But, yeah, it's uh, Azure what, for me.
2: Why do you think um, people find the cloud so difficult? So, like, in the early days, um, S3 buckets were being left open constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, people were getting yeah. caught left, right, and center, leaving elastic clusters open to the Internet and just doing, you know, really, really poor IM um, uh, uh, um uh, what, what, what I'm trying to say is, it's like really management. poor. Like, yeah, yeah access management. The hygiene, access yeah. management was terrible. The hygiene was yep. poor. So, why do, why do you think that was? Do you think there was not a lot? People just didn't understand how how the cloud worked, or they they configured things and just left them open because they thought, well, no one can access that. I did it through the AWS
1: portal. Uh, I think it's yeah, it's funny. Um, I I call it a bloke uh, thing as well. You know how sometimes when you get you go to IKEA, you get a furniture how many times you actually watch read the manual? Like, no, it's like, I mean, I don't yeah. know about you guys, I don't read the manual. I try it and the, the, the time I mess up is when I actually read the manual. Like, okay, am I missing a screw?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I, I feel it's a similar thing with uh, with all of these things as well. Azure, AWS, GCP, you name it, because it doesn't take you long. You see all your friends getting um, Azure certificates AWS certificates and like what is this thing that LinkedIn is filled with all these people like oh my god 500 likes on this guy who got an AWS solution architect associate what is this thing and then you watch a bunch of YouTube videos and like oh it's so easy to start I'll start one so you go in there and the funny thing is right uh, something so small and I still remember this the first time I got in there by default AWS takes you to North Virginia region by default, like that was the thing back in the day. I don't know if it's still like, or if it recognized my cookies and puts me in Sydney, but even that is something that almost like a concept that doesn't exist. Like, you know, cause when you, when people like us, I keep counting you guys in, but feel free to say you, you didn't see that world, but in, in a world of data centers where if you were to work with someone in the say, you guys in the UK, I'm in Australia, if you were to work together, I'm walking into my data center in Melbourne, you're walking into your data center in the UK, I can I do not have access to your machine mm. unless I go through this sophisticated firewall. I don't know, four or five firewalls and 25 MFA later, like, oh, finally I get access to the UK data center. But in the cloud world, it's just a drop down. And you click on it and you're like, oh, now I can build resources in uh, Dublin. Oh, sweet, there you go. Now I've got resources in North Virginia. And you forget about them, you move on. And uh, then you you forget that. When you log in you're back in north virginia but your dublin instance is still running you have 25 servers still running in dublin which you which you were testing so you go into your server oh no servers great i'm just gonna log off and go back home and as colin mentioned a month later you get a bill and like how the hell did i get this bill because <laughs> you didn't you didn't swipe that thing and and i feel like there was a lot of excitement behind cloud and there still is because people like, I guess, I'm, I kind of blame myself for this as well a bit, because I've been hooting the uh, cloud security of thing for a while, that people should go into cloud, but go do it the right way. But because it's exciting, kind of like, all the techies are like, I need to know about this. I don't know what it is. I don't know, I sound like a Trump, I was, I was just like, I don't know what it is. I'm like, I kind of entered in Trump mode there. Uh, but <laughs> the like, they basically say that uh, it's, it's the sheer excitement of trying something new that got people going. And they didn't want to read the manual, they didn't want to know what services were there. And uh, some people even blame the cloud security providers for this as well. Because they also mm. say that, well, if you s- took security that seriously, you should have put these things in place in the beginning. You didn't have to wait for someone to open an ac- accidentally open an S3 bucket. You could have just let that be in the beginning. But to think about, um, and, and I want to balance it out, I don't want to blame it completely on cloud security providers. Uh, imagine a world where you guys are the first people to talk about cloud, that I'm going to give you a data center on a console. And you're trying to convince people to use it. And then like, no, you're not even talking to the government. You're talking to startups. You're like, how do I get this thing running quickly? And you're like, well, there you go. It's always public. So the first versions, if you go back to, I think it was 2010 or 2011. um, it's, It's been like eight, nine years since cloud kind of, AWS kind of became a thing. And the first version was just a public S3 bucket. That's all you could do. It was just literally a Dropbox. Mm-hmm. That's all pretty much, I mean, for lack of a better word, it was just a Dropbox. Now, as, you, as they kept adding services, they realized, oh, these people want security. Oh, we should put security. So, you know, it's only when people are asking for it because they've always worked in a startup model. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Um, People who came in later on, after all these mistakes had been done by AWS for leaking S3, well, not AWS leaking S3 buckets, but people accidentally leaving S3 buckets open. Azure, Google Cloud came in, they said, oh, we do security differently. And Microsoft being in the enterprise space for a very long time, much more longer than AWS, they came with that mindset. This is how it should be done. Although they do screw up people with different kinds of licensing for identity, but that's a different story. Um, Google Cloud comes with a similar thing as well, like everything, your permission is tied to your G Suite account, which is not a thing in IAM, which in AWS, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but there are actually four kinds of identities on uh, AWS. One is like the actual uh, user that you can create within AWS. Then there is the single sign-on user that you can do on AWS. Then there is the, uh, for lack of a better words, a service account, what they call as, uh, what I call them robot users. Basically, your server can perform actions. And then there are third-party users who have requested access to your AWS accounts because they want to help you manage it. They want to help you manage costs. They want to help you manage security. So there, there are already four kinds of identities floating around. At any given point in time, in a large cloud environment, there is no way you can find all this information out. And, um, that's my current contention with cloud and there people are kind of move slowly moving into a space where they're realizing that cloud needs to be done better. Uh, but to your point, uh, there are still people jumping in, uh, who are, who have no idea about cloud. They go in with swipe card uh, cause they say it's free for first 30 days as every other size provider, you try it and, uh, you let me know how you go then. Well, that 's kind of where they land and I, ho- I know it 's a long winded answer, but hopefully that gives you the yeah definitely exam.
0: so do you, do you think then like from you know traditional businesses with you know on prem hardware and data center kind of architecture and stuff like that, do you think the the, the main kind of challenge is, is all is actually around um, education like retraining skills from you know their security architecture or engineering teams and or, or, or even the development teams and stuff like that is, do you think it 's all about? Um, well, I, I guess the question is, and the challenge is that training budgets within organizations always tend to be quite challenging, right? Uh, they tend to yeah. be probably, I would imagine, one of the first budgets that gets cut when there's, you know, COVID hits and people are, you know, kind of saving money, etc. So, right, okay, well, let's can all the training for this year. And then, so, so how do people kind of learn this stuff? I guess it's so, a challenge, isn't
1: it? It is. And I think... Uh, to your point, uh, fortunately, there are quite a few people who have started recognizing this as well. Uh, I mean, there, there are a few providers. Uh, if you just want to learn about cloud, uh, I would say you can go on plenty of YouTube videos uh, for free content. But if you don't mind paying, I think it's only $10, $20. There's a, there's a service called a cloud guru or plural Those guys have started having content for this, which is pretty good. And they have mm-hmm. student uh, kind of options as well. But for professionals who are trying to upskill, I definitely feel you definitely need a different kind of training because you have so much, like I'll, I'll put someone who already has a job as an example. You you've been doing uh data center security for, I don't know, 10, 20 years already. And now you're looking at, okay, this cloud thing, I right, fuck. All right. Okay. What, what am I, am I going to like, am I going to learn this now or what am I going to do? So I, I definitely feel, uh, there is a base foundation already present for all these people' to experience. All they need is just like how does it translate from on prem to cloud that they just want the translation because mm-hmm. it 's not like you're, all that you 've learned in data center for twenty plus years is a waste it 's just that you just want to know what 's the translation so well, when I have mentioned earlier that if you don 't you can replace a load balancer server with something as a service like oh there 's a translation there for you so. I don't need a physical box for a load balancer. I can just use a service in cloud. Like that kind of translation. Um, And uh, it's funny, um, I I don't want to plug in my uh, cloud security academy there, but there are plenty of other people as well Mm. uh, who are talking about this and sharing their knowledge and doing it the right way. I definitely would say that a lot of courses like the A Cloud Gurus and all the other ones, they want you to get into cloud quickly. They want you to understand the service security Quickly, so they all were. Or they would. So I'll give you an example of a lesson that they would have. They would have a lesson where let's make a web, public website. They would open an S3 bucket, make it public, and put a bunch of files in there. And like, go do it yourself. People go start doing it. Now, when they come back to their offices, they're like, uh, "You tell them I need an S3 bucket. Do you know how to do it?" "Yes, I know how to do it." They just go in and just make a public S3 bucket. There you go. That's the bucket. So it's kind of like. If someone who's listening to this and they do go into a cloud guru and all these other courses, I would ask them to kind of like take it with a pinch of salt because it. some of those trainers are really knowledgeable in cloud, but they might not be explaining uh, from security and rightly so because the course is not about security, it's the course is about the cloud service. So it's not their fault. It's like you can't assume that everyone wants to know security. Um, So it's almost like there is training available and definitely uh, upskilling and education is a, is a gap that's slowly becoming a problem for a lot of people. But and to your point, um, fortunately, at least in Australia, they allow you to claim on tax the education, but I'm assuming there's a similar version in the UK and other countries as well. So I'll definitely ask people to kind of upskill and get into that space and claim all that See. money. So
0: you, do you reckon then like somebody starting out in Infosec wants to break in or maybe they've got their first role and they're, they're looking to kind of progress, this would be a kind of good area to focus on in their development. You talked about AWS certificates from like Plural site, et cetera. Yeah. I um, yep. think that's a good, a good kind of thing to have on the CV, the resume.
1: I think it's definitely a good start. Let's just let's say that um, it gives so if I'll be honest, uh, if I'm hiring someone for a cloud security engineer kind of a role, I probably, if I see an associate certificate, I would. my instant thought would not be, oh my God, this guy or this guy or girl knows AWS. My instant thought would be because I've done that certificate, it would be they know about the services in AWS. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just that. They don't know how it's implemented, what kind of project it would have been. So uh, they're definitely a great start. Uh, if you can find some form of projects that you can do in cloud probably a better way and I, I definitely feel uh, one thing to call out and this is what I tell other people that having a knowledge of cloud is definitely an advantage over someone who doesn't know a cloud in any organization right now so yeah. to your point having a certificate is definitely an advantage so if you are a security person applying for a job they, the moment they see an AWS certificate or an Azure or a GCP certificate and they are in that space they would hire you because as I was talking about uh, old people like me who have uh, been spending a lot of time in information security, we're all transitioning. I'm still trying to, every time there's someone who tell me about a service, I'll try and map it to something that I knew from before. So I may sound intelligent when I'm talking about it, but uh, for anyone who's new, they have the advantage of learning a new thing without the bias of what it used to be. Mm. So they definitely have an advantage. So as a person who's hiring, I would be like, Oh my God, this guy knows cloud. Anyone who comes with the GCP knowledge, I'll hire them. Because if I, if I have a Google Cloud instance, I have no idea how to run it. So I've got people who know how to do it. I work with them. But if I have someone in my team who knows about Google Cloud, I'm like, oh, yeah, bring, it, bring them on 100%. Like, I think that's the way I think people would approach it. Yeah. How do you, um, you know, so we spoke to another podcast guest and he
2: was, he was deep AWS as well. But with the, a lot of the organizations I work with, they're, they're Azure. Um, mm-hmm. So, how do you keep pace with these clouds, or how do you how do you keep multi? How, you know, I, I hear a lot of vendors say multi-cloud, and whenever I hear the word multi-cloud, I think what is it, what is even multi-cloud? And so like, how do you I keep you pace? I mean cloud
1: but sure, yes. Yeah,
2: poly-cloud, yeah, because it's <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you, how do you keep pace? Because I, I get emails from AWS every week, here's a new service, here's a new service. Like, it yep. almost seems impossible. Like if I was starting in the industry now, I think I'd be too, I think I'd be, it'd be too daunting to, to, <laughs> to go into, to, to even think about looking in cloud. Um, yep. like, how do you do it? How do you, how do you keep that
1: information flowing? Uh, so it's a great question and i think it's a valid question as well because if you if you because you know, amazon the jeff Bezos is going to be the first billionaire in the world right and amazon is the biggest customer of aws so that's the level of um the, the staff they have to work on this right like if that so just to do a one-to-one comparison of like average company like Uh, I don't know, Joe Blow. I'm trying to think of a company like British Telecom. Let's just take that as an example. Pretty big company, uh, lots of employees, lots of employees around the world, uh, but they still would not be able to match the number of employees doing development in AWS. It's amazing. So yeah, the the scale of it, you almost feel like you can't even match it. Even if you sat there 24-7 skimming through every news article coming out, they have a team of at least 20, 30 people working on each service. It's not, very, it's not entire AWS that they're working on. They're working on a service in AWS. Okay. And you look at that logo, oh, uh, I probably should just, give, I mean, you can choose to give up or or you can just go down the other path and go, there are core services which are applicable in your industry. I, I can name a few. So people kind of go, okay, every time a news article comes about this particular service, I should look out for it everything else i can ignore like mm. uh, for example their version of a server is called ec2 instance people are uh, people still use it everyone who's done a lift and shift from what we were talking about earlier they've all still use ec2 instances there is uh, for people who enjoy containers there's a container service so they can translate that, uh, that skill set into uh, aws or azure or gcp the same goes for people who are enjoying serverless these days or Kubernetes. So there's a direct, what, what these cloud providers thankfully have done is a, they do not care that you can't keep up, but B, they realize that because we are the ones who are paying money for it. They do want to listen to us. So they do have services, which we understand. So if someone is listening into a feed, um, cause you will get, like every service is ml service is transcode service like no which you would never use in a day to day basis unless you're transcoding this podcast podcast i guess so that's one use case but uh, it, i probably the way i do it is i focus only on the services i only look at the aws security blog and i look at the services that are being used in my company and no matter which interview you go at if someone's asking you to be uh, like aware of what happened yesterday in an AWS S3 bucket that's probably ridiculous it's kind of like asking 10 years experience in cloud security and you're like uh i don't think people have done cloud that much to have <laughs> 10 years of experience in cloud security but sure because yeah. you have it written over there i'm going to say yes to it and pretend let's like just i know that was just a, you know it's kind of one of those ones you almost uh feel I, I always find when, when people
0: put that on their on their job the requirements I've never been asked in an interview. So tell me how many years experience and that stuff? Like no one gives a shit so really, fun. do they? It's just they, yeah. they put it on the, the initial filter to probably hope, well, I'm assuming kind of weed out some noise before you get to be sat in front of an interviewer. Like I've, I've had roles where it's like, you know, you need X amount of years experience, reverse engineering malware. And I thought, well, fuck that. I'll just say, I'll just go for it anyway. And you do. Yeah. And no one asks me. You know what I mean?
1: it's that. that's a good question. I never realized it until you mentioned it, Colin, that... Um, No one, I mean, no one's ever asked it because you're asking like questions about the technology, the problems you solve. Like, and and these 10 years of experience you've had, how many times did you have? Like, no one would ask that question. I just never had that in my yeah. career. Well, that's, yeah, a good, that's,
0: like, that's a good interview question for your next candidate. I, yeah, I feel, I feel sorry for who the next person is you're going to interview. Yeah. Like, how many
1: years did you say you have? Oh, right, yeah. five. Okay. Yeah. How yeah. long have you been? Like, in, out of these five years, how much time have you spent in cloud? Were you... <laughs> updated on feed. Did you see the news that came in yesterday? And like, oh, yeah, sorry. like, what about this morning? (laughs) Let's just scare people off as well. But
2: so, so from the beginning, so what, what what was your um, early life? Like, you know, what, what, what dipped you into technology? Have you always been a technologist or did you, you know, did you growing up? Did you want to do something else? Did you want to be a barber? For example, you know, look at the oh, hair on your head. Now have loved to be a barber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, right
1: now with the, with the, cause, um, yeah. cause Melbourne is on lockdown and no, now the barber shops have been open for four, four months. Like it my wife who's been helping me cut the sides, but the top has been, and the beard has been growing for a while. So. You should definitely keep I, it. You're a handsome man. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Thanks, Colin. I should probably, rec- uh, make sure you get me the recording of this podcast so I can make my wife listen to this. So like, there are other people who think I look good in a beard. Uh, so, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, actually, to answer your question, I, I think I've always been in technology and I think um, it probably is a, is a default for being brown, I guess, because you kind of have uh, computers always around you. And it just becomes, so I don't know about uh, you guys, but in an Indian background, you only have two options. When you grow up, you either join medicine or you join engineering. <laughs> and even in engineering, you kind of have to pick which is popular for that, for that season. Yeah. So uh, turns out when I was growing up, the this, this season was for computer science because everyone's talking about computer science. So my dad got me my first Intel Pentium, Intel Pentium Celeron with 128 MB RAM. And I was like, "Oh, 128 MB hard disk." For a-. It was like a, it was like it sounds like too too much now when I think about it. But that was my first intro into it. And uh, walking around with my hard disk was like a thing that I used to do with my friends. I would pluck, uh, pull out the hard disk from my CPU and walk around to my friend's place to copy stuff in there. I'm like, or take movies from him. Uh, by the way, don't pirate movies. It's a bad idea. Just saying it's like, this is just, this is how the first <laughs> version of Torrent happened. People were walking around with their hard disk. Uh, that used to happen. So yeah, I have always been in technology, but I didn't realize uh, I, I had a side for fashion as well for a while fashion and uh, the, the whole culture aspect of it. So um, to your point. Growing up, I still probably would have still done technology, but I probably would have gone to fashion tech or something. And now I would think I probably would have, because I would have think that, oh, being brown, I probably would get the technology thing anyways. Not that it would be a stereotype, but uh, fashion is something that I wasn't doing much. Because my dad used to have a business of clothing, and growing up, I would just see all these different kinds of clothes. He's talking about all these colors that don't match together. I'm like, what is he on about? But being an adult when i could start paying for my own clothes i started realizing actually some of that opinion had flowed into me and i would have an opinion about uh say the kind of outfits i would wear and um yeah that that i probably would have chosen another profession uh but probably still related to technology fashion tech probably yeah that's really cool very interesting um
2: so it's really interesting you actually you you brought up something i wanted to discuss with you and it wasn't the fashion sorry to say that (laughs) but um but but basically in um the indian culture um, around being into engineering and into technology and into science um is something that i've never researched but if you look at you know the, the the top silicon valley um startups and big enterprises today and big technology companies most most of the people at the top are in the c suite are indian yep. so you know and and i i feel that you know the indian people don't get enough recognition for what they are doing in technology and mm. do, do you think that's a valid point and also you know why is that like what, what what is happening like what what is going on you know, what is the mindset of the indian people to be so good in the technology field or in technology leadership is it is there something that we're missing here in the in the west which is going on uh, in the indian
1: culture oh i think uh it's the hardcore parenting is missing <laughs> <laughs> me, well, i guess you be i kid but uh the reason i feel and my wife and i talk about this thing where Um, when you live in a third world country, right, I think the only, so when you don't have a good job, the only other option is homelessness and you're outside begging, basically. Like that, that is very real. Like, I mean, uh, we're all in Commonwealth countries. UK is a Commonwealth country. Australia is a Commonwealth country. So even if God forbid you don't have a job, there is some support system from the government, right? So you can still uh, access that. And some people call it their right to access it. But for a lot of, uh, I guess, for... At the entire population of India, you're probably, or even any third world country for that matter, you're on your own. Yeah, there's no support. So when you get into something, I feel like uh, the way, um, the reason I was talking about the season being that you only get two options, engineering or doctor, is because those are two professions where you make a lot of money. So parents are thinking that, oh, if my son or my daughter is doing engineering or uh, medicine, they're bound to get a good job. They will get paid well. They would have a good life. So that's tied drilled into us growing up. You need to be able to get a good job. You need to be able to excel in your job, work hard, like that That thing. And it's funny, it sounds sound like a sound like kind of like cliche, but if you uh, if you say that in someone in a Western culture, they'll get that as well. Yeah, are like, yeah, I should, I should work out. Oh, sorry, I should not work out, but I should definitely work out, but I should definitely work hard. Um, but uh, I, I feel the the piece which missing is it's so real that you could literally be on the street next tomorrow if you don't get a good job that it's, it's kind of like, if you know, you're going to, I mean, uh, for lack of a better example, if you know, you're going to die tomorrow, you'll put this today, you would do everything under the plan today to make Mm -hmm. sure that you've done like, you know, you fulfilled your destiny. I feel that's the drive. That's what drives people. And I'm not saying that only people have grew up in India have have that. I do see that in people who have moved overseas. So I still see that in my parents, like my parents, still talk about that uh, even after moving overseas for so many years, they still talk about, oh, you should get a good job, work hard, make sure you're always humble. It's not about being boisterous. It's always about being humble as well. You should keep your head down. I'm like, uh, I don't think it comes with me by nature, but sure, I kind of like, like I think I'm, I'm pre- I've, got, I've got an Instagram handle called Peacock in the room for two reasons. But and I'm like, I'm like, my dad like, you definitely are, like, are not someone who's going to qu- keep quiet in the room. Like, yeah, I, I do know that. But because, you know, it's like, it's one of those things. I feel like a majority of them are trained in the model that you can't have to be modest about it. You can't be outright like, oh, I know this. Mm. But I feel like to your point, that's what's missing in the Indian folk. I think, I don't think it's a Western society's fault. You guys have the same options as we do. It's just that it's more, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically you're begging on the street. That's kind of like makes it very real because you walk out, there's a beggar on the road like, shit, that could be me. So I'm going to go I, back I wonder, to my office.
0: Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. I wonder whether the, um, the the kind of situation with COVID and the effect that that's had on the remote working culture across the globe, how, how that will change things. Um, you know, if the the opportunities to you know if you're in india there's a lot of you know the economy is unbelievable in 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 india and you know to go and work in a big organization and to get that good career move i guess you know five even five months ago would be all about physically being in the right location by those offices to go and commute there to get that job and now there's almost like a global jobs market coming you know on the horizon where people can work remotely it doesn't no one gives a shit where you work anymore so <laughs> yes, right. you know if you've got the knowledge and the capability to contribute then you know the, the, the hopefully the opportunities have become more prevalent for people yeah 100% uh, i think
1: people in. are recognizing it as well because that's why a lot of research centers have opened up in india as well so a lot of the research centers uh, whether it's within cloud security or whether it's adobe google microsoft there's a reason why they have their research centers there. They don't have mm-hmm. their uh, call centers there. They have their research centers there. Because they realize there's a lot of people who are just being bred to be really good engineers. And mm-hmm. it's like anything, right? If if all of us become really amazing podcasters, like, I don't know, we become Joe Rogan, I guess. People are like, <laughs> oh my God, these guys are born to be like, you know, <laughs> like, you know that's right. I mean, you know, it, it it's one of those ones. The like, more you practice, the more better you get. Just yeah. the same goes for them, but for them that's being drilled into it into them and they're since they're a kid like mm. since you're a kid you. i mean no one told us to be podcasters when we were an adult so we kind of like i mean at least i'm picking it up as i'm going so i still have a lot of ums and ahs that i have to edit out of videos <laughs> but uh, it's one of those ones where i feel uh that covid has definitely changed the way people look at look at jobs now it's mm. I, it's I am surprised that the dream that we used to be sold in IT, that you could work from anywhere, it, it took a COVID for it to be into re- become so a reality. True.
0: Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, it's unbelievable. What what kind of keeps you, you're so passionate, you're like overflowing with passion for, for info security. Um, I really love speaking to you. Where does that come from? And how do you stay motivated to work in this environment? Like, where where does that fire, how does that continue to burn? What What is feeding that fire?
1: Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deep question as well. Um, I I have, um, so uh, I don't know actually how many people know this, but I actually have a Patreon account where I kind of do talk about this. Because I don't talk about it otherwise publicly. Uh, I have this desire to open a uh, a cybersecurity academy for, with free education for anyone who wants to join. You only have to pay when you uh, get a job, and it, it's basically a referral. You re, you refer. So either you pay with uh, money or for the course you did, or you just refer another person to the cor- course. That's pretty much nice. Uh, that's my end goal. If I can reach that before I retire, I'll be amazing. Um, so Cloud Security Academy that I started is basically um, first step at understanding the education market because I don't even know. Like I had this desire like what is going to be my legacy uh, if I were to leave one and I would read about these tweets that there's a, a skill shortage. There's a gated community cannot get into cyber security because these guys want to see SSP with 10 years experience. <laughs> like I can't get this for a junior role. Like there's not many junior roles. So my hope is to provide that. Um, and this is something that I'm doing with cloud security Academy. The intent is not just that you do a course and, thank you so much for your money and move on, but more to get you that job have, uh, have agencies that I'm, I guess I'm, I work with to make sure you get a job to the end to end thing. Not that you've great. You've done a course. Thank you. Uh, I've got another course coming next month. If you guys want to sign up, sign up if, like, you know, I don't want that. Cause I, I feel like that. Yeah. I, I don't think money is, uh, is a, is a challenge for me, fortunately Touchwood, Uh, but, uh, there's a bigger goal that keeps me motivated. And I think my wife and I have spoken about this quite a few times as well, because she's got a, a, a philanthropic angle as well, because she's into um, Muay Thai and everything, which is martial arts. And she wants to teach self-defense to women in India uh, when we get old. And so I think it's, 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 I, we've had this thing and she's doing a lot of work in that space. She's training for it. She's, uh, she has a startup as well now to kind of that would feed, feed in education um, yeah, I think that's kind of where it's coming from. I, I definitely want to reach that goal, but I can definitely, it, it should not be like, the, people should feel there's a gate to that they have to jump across to get into cyber security, which funny enough, there is no gate that I and I mean, I don't know if you both of you feel it, but I don't think there's a gate to get into cyber security.
2: No, I don't think there is either. I mean, and I, you know, I'll, I saw a post on LinkedIn this, this week about, someone feeling that the cybersecurity was a gated community and there was no way to enter this because of you know the i call them the cyber celebs and you see them <laughs> being you know 20 years experience certificates you know th- up, up, crazy amount of certificates crazy amount of connections and they know everyone and they feel like well i'll never get to that place but you know since we've been doing this podcast i, I feel well Anyone can get into cybersecurity. You know there yeah. is so many roles in this field. You know you can be technical, you can be non-technical, you can do recruitment, you can do you can do pretty much anything. You could forge your own path. You can make your own startup if you want to. Yeah. You, know, you could sell multi-cloud to, 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 to people. Multi-cloud well, yeah, uh, transformation.
1: Yeah. Multi-cloud yeah. transformation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Blo- a 50 blockchain slide for a
0: thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Blockchain. Dark web. You could do anything you want, but I think it just takes that work ethic. Um, it, it just requires a little bit of work ethic. Um, yes. and, and you've got to view, view yourself as your own personal brand. And you know, don't worry about the company you work for. I mean, yes, you work hard, but also work for yourself. Um, that's right. and, and that's what I believe. And, and I, I see that in you. Like right. you know, you you have your own personal brand. I mean, you have a photo of yourself behind your head. So I mean,
1: <laughs> like you, yeah, you have... yeah, that's right. That's my imaginary cafe for you guys. Yeah, that's right. I would I love, love to own a cafe one day. By the way, just saying, and that's the image of the cafe that I want. Oh, brilliant! See, so I, you... I love this goal.
0: Yeah. It's so ha the fact that you have these goals, both you know, long term, short term, in your business and personal life, that's really inspiring to to hear about. If I'm oh, honest with you, you. appreciate um, that, I, you. and also. I dare say there'll be so many people listening to this that will will, that will resonate with to think. You know what? Life is not all about information security and like you know what have you. It's the kind of um, how you're going to make ends meet at the end of the day to hopefully live a more fulfilled life. Yeah, Um, that's right. I I think thankfully as well, it is. uh, a, a community or a, an area of, of employment where it's quite lucrative as well if you're, yes. you know if yes. you know what you're doing and, and can play the game and so you can i feel like there's a lot of people that can accelerate to, on that personal goal journey um,
1: yeah.
0: and sometimes it, it takes a little bit of money to, to make you feel comfortable to 100 I know about.
1: someone who started off as a uh, a Dj realized actually a friend of mine as well she started as a ba- singer in a band. And she got into cyber security to one of the guys who was in the band. And they uh, said, you should do cyber security. You seem to be good at this. And she's like, what? No. <laughs> and uh, so she, uh, I, I highly respect her. her name is Tanya Jenka. And I respect her quite a bit. She's a really good friend as well. And uh, it's funny. Uh, she was talking about the fact that how random uh, backgrounds can get you into cybersecurity as well. She's like, I was mm-hmm. just singing my heart out in in these concerts, and suddenly it's like, you should do cybersecurity. Like you would be good <laughs> at this. Uh, and uh, and I know another person who was a DJ. Uh, and, and to your point, it's it's all ends to me. It's all the end. And if, at the end, it's all a job, right? As and we're all doing a job. Like if you were to compare this to any other job out there, I, probably not medicine. I feel because that's life-threatening. Uh, or unless you work in one of those operational technology environments where, mm. I don't know, you, you're working in a nuclear plant uh, or uh, like, you know, that probably could be serious. But anywhere else, if it's a software or a phone or one of those ones where like, yeah, worst of worse, really, that can happen. Someone would not be able to dial a number. Great. Like he's <laughs> alive or she's alive and they can still continue to. DJ or jam or whatever they want to do. Like, I definitely feel I'm funny. I'm glad you mentioned the lucrative part. I did because I, uh, I was part of a panel once and um, some similar question was asked about why should people join the cybersecurity? And I said the lucrative part and people in the panel are like, how much do you get paid? I'm like, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess I paid decent enough, but I don't know. Like, how much do you guys get paid? Yeah. Uh, not enough probably. Uh, but to, to your point, it's such an interesting topic because that also makes people think it's gated because you get paid so much mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's why all these super elite people who made it there are the guys and the girls who are getting paid so much because you know, to uh, Ashley's point, they've done all these certifications. They've spent so many years in this and they know everything. But when you talk to these people, they're all down to earth they all are happy to share information you talk to them about oh, i'm looking for a job all you need to do to ashley's point earlier is uh i guess if you can network early early enough with people find out what 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 would make you more employable whether it's a certificate or whether it's doing projects on github or whether it's learning about cloud like if you just find that information out they would hire you they would Mm -hmm. see the dedication that you're putting in they, I mean, it would be foolish of someone to just may ask you to do something and tell you like, "Well, that's not good enough," because yeah. they're the ones who told you in the first place. So you know, they, they'll definitely hire you. If no one else hires you, they would hire you. So 100%, man, a great field to be in.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And I always feel as well. I mean, we, we kind of mentioned it about the uh, before about a skill shortage and stuff. And my, my personal opinion is that there's not necessarily a skill shortage. It's just that maybe we're articulating the wrong kind of skill set that we're looking for. Um, yeah. And I I honestly think that one of the core key skills that I look for when I recruit people and I I look to kind of display myself is this communication factor of Mm -hmm. being able to, you know, translate. If so, if you want to um, articulate a strategy to move to the cloud, well, coming out with all the fucking buzzwords about AWS and how, you know, transformation, (laughs) digital blockchain, blah, 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 that ain't going to get you nowhere. But if you can translate (laughs) it into real terms that are, you know a cto or a cio can really understand that that's actually what is probably going to ele- elevate your career quicker because this you that's know right. that c-suite will be like this guy knows what he's talking about he speaks my language yep. Um, yep. So. yeah 100%. yeah more relatable yeah uh,
1: yeah otherwise if you, the moment we talk about "Oh, i had this hack which is I got the blue screen and the CSC so is like or oh, the CIO is like, this guy's talking about some blue screen shit. Can you get him out of here? Like, yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. who in this room can actually tell me what's really happening apart from the whole blue screen thing?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's fascinating. It?
2: You know, it was interesting you say about cybersecurity being lucrative um, as a you know earning potential. And I do think there is there is an element where you can earn you know a decent amount of money very quickly or really early on in your career but you know, then there's, there's also a flip side where there's a lot of organisations um are not paying enough for the roles that they're putting out so they're mm-hmm. expecting a lot for mm. not for for very little so i don't and i don't know what it's like in australia so if anyone doesn't realise you you know you are australian right. um, or you, you you at least you know you you live in australia what is you know what is that kind of perspective you know do you have organisations out there that pay that pay correct because they understand they understand the field and how difficult it is, um, or they just pay the least as possible
1: because they, maybe they don't view cybersecurity as that important to their business. That's an interesting one. I, I, I think uh, I'll probably put another spin to the. Uh, so the to your, a short answer: yes, there are companies here who do not pay enough as well, and uh, rightly so because they're thinking more. So imagine if you're a small consulting, because so small consulting company, uh, and you obviously want to hire. Uh, I don't like calling people, oh, sorry, I don't like calling people resources, but I'm going to use the word resources here. Um, you want to have resources, uh, which would do a project for you. Now, you know, as a consulting company, you can charge 10 times their daily wage to the client. You would try and minimize that consultant's cost to your own company so you can make more profit. I think those, that it's not more the cybersecurity side, it's more the fact the business itself, trying to save money and the, I feel the onus is on people like us to mm. when you do your research and find out okay this is what an average head of security or a sizer gets paid um in, in, in this space because it's different from our industry to industry as well like a bank would always pay you a lot more than say i don't know a small startup and even in the product companies as well, there's a, there's a different scales to it as well. A product company, which is like LinkedIn, may not pay you as much as I'm just gonna root, I don't know, think of another product company. I guess Salesforce. I gonna, yeah, let's go Salesforce. Yeah. Although Salesforce apparently does pay well, but they really pay well for the sales guys for obvious mm. reasons because you want to be able to sell. Like, and there, there is a whole you know. I feel like there's it, there's owners on both sides, and I, it does exist in every. Um, it doesn't exist in every business, though. I don't think it's just a cybersecurity thing. Uh, although if they do choose to continue to pay a lot more to people in IT, but not much to people in cybersecurity, you definitely would have to question that, oh, whether they don't really value cybersecurity. So I definitely feel there's a mix over here. Uh, talking to a lot of people in the US, it seems to be there as well. And they always hope that when they tell you a money, because everyone has a budget that they work with, right? A budget that they've approved for a role. They always work try and try and save that because then that means they can use some of that balance for something else. So I, I feel like, unfortunately, the capitalist economy we have created uh, ca- does limit our, I guess, options for like a word, better word, especially if you're a product company, where your funding is based on what the VC is providing you. Uh, hopefully that answers your question because I, I yeah, feel there's it, a, like there's definitely back a balance there.
2: Yeah, it does. It, it 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 definitely does, and it's just something that I found quite interesting in terms. Of, you know, you can you can look at a job spec, uh, or that they'll say we're looking for a head of security, and they're paying the same what someone in a sock would get paid, and you think, well, what? That doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Like, what, what do you, what are you looking for here? Why are you yep. looking for 12 years experience managing a team, but you're paying? <laughs> You know, you can get someone fresh fresh out of university to do that role. Like it's <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't make sense sometimes. And um Probably the yeah. economies of scale,
0: yeah. their maturity security and maturity as well. Like mm. maybe like where Security is positioned within that business. You can probably get a good read on, like, the reporting line of, you know, does oh, the CISO yeah. have like a seat at the PLC table, or is it actually they're looking for an information security person to be the whole thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they just need yeah. An and
1: sometimes just one person as well. To your point, yeah. it's like there could be a head of security, or they could be director or VP, but there's only one guy or girl. Yeah. yeah. And you're like. Wow, you are like one-person security team, and <laughs> how much uh like money does your company make, or how much, how many employees does your company have? Like, oh, you have eight hundred people and one security guy. That's like, yeah, crazy, wow. isn't it? Like, so th- that 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 never goes away. That uh, unfortunately, I feel um, as a skill set, all of us are not taught in school how to negotiate or how to be okay to have a conversation about money. Mm. Um, I, I, de- I, I, really wish people were taught that. Uh, I mean, I tell my cousins about it. I tell everyone that I know about it, You should be okay to talk about money. It's not wrong to talk about money, but the society just keeps reminding everyone. Oh, it's like, it's a taboo to talk about money. Yeah. Why would you talk about money? So when it actually it's comes crazy. time to, for you to get your salary, you're like, I guess this was the best option because they would be fair <laughs> to me. Yeah, so yeah. I will take this. Mm. Thank you for giving me a job
0: i I work in the financial services space where you would literally um, have your employment terminated if you were to discuss with your colleague anything related to your salary. Like if you were overheard, I'm not even joking. If you were overheard talking about your salary, you would be out the door because they do not want anyone to discuss. And on the flip side, you see technology companies that I was, I was literally reading last night a blog post, a, a Twitter post, a thread, uh, and companies were sharing Google spreadsheets of all of their employees' salaries because they literally published them. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, Jim earns this and Billy earns this. And, and it's, yeah. you know, th- there's so many different attitudes towards salary. And, and well, where,
1: where, where would you guys sit though? Would you be okay if the salaries of all the employees were out in public knowledge?
0: I would, yeah, personally. Yeah. I, oh. I would be so pro that. Um, and the only reason why I don't, like... I I, talk, I, I've, I remember posting something a little while ago on Twitter about I posted a graph of my sal- my own personal salary journey over the last 10 years, not the numbers, yeah. but, the, but the percentage increase. Yeah. And the only reason I don't share the numbers, because I don't think it's fair that other people in my organization that don't encourage you to share, you know, the numbers, it wouldn't be fair for me to share mine and no one else, you know, and everyone else yeah, kind yeah, of ju- yeah. judges me or what have you put them in an awkward position. Um, but I I, yeah, I I think a more open culture would be um, w- would suit personal development a lot more, yeah. I think. Personally. And I think as a
1: manager, you probably would see as well that there would be people in your team who would be not doing the same job but not paid the same as well. Mm. And I think I've had situations situation in the past where I see that and I feel like it's unfair, but you almost feel like, well, how do you have this awkward conversation that you're not being paid enough as Joe Blow over here Yeah, And I mean, how do you justify that? And I think that's why probably people are trying to just not have that conversation by, to your point, having a rule that you should not talk about salary. But to be honest, I'm with you, boys, that we should talk about salary because that's how you know you're being paid fair. You don't have to read these random surveys on Glassdoor. Oh, I guess this is kind of what it would be. But then, oh, it's a US version. So I don't know what's in the UK or what's in Australia. So I guess it'll be around this figure. Like, you know, we're all making guesses. For what it would be, but then you talk to the actual person, he's saying half of it, and you're like, "But the Glassdoor review said this," and you're like, "That's US, that's not Australia, that's not UK," and you're like, "Okay."
0: It works so it's crazy, isn't it? It really is. Um, Yeah. Listen, this is this is a fascinating topic that honestly I could continue talking to you so long about, and you are a guest because of your passion that you're, you're, you're very inspiring to speak to. You're super knowledgeable. I think we'll definitely have you back on the show if you'd, if you'd, if you'd like to come back. Um, and we find this a lot, Ashley and I, that yeah. we, we speak to so inter- interesting people that we just run out of time. And we, <laughs> there's not enough time in the podcast to keep going and going. So I, but we'll definitely make another episode with you because not only to talk about your, um, uh, the history of where you got started and your passions and motivations, which I definitely want to explore more, but also to see the progress of your beard and, uh, and how that's kind of getting on throughout lockdown. I, w- I want you to come back and show us what, what style it is next time as well. Oh uh, uh,
1: yeah, sure. Uh, I'll probably get the mustache going by next time. I'll just, I'm going to be like just doing this the entire time. Yeah. Well, yeah, ne-
0: next
2: time what we'll do is we'll get all, all of you cloud cloud experts in a room we
0: should, on. On. we should get we should get yeah. Stee and Ashish on because uh, Stee, our first guest, he's got the biggest beard. He's someone I super. Oh respect. yeah,
1: I saw I saw that video. Oh my god, that's like I don't know how many years he hasn't shaved for.
0: Oh man, he's. He, I used to work with Ste, and and you mentioned your wife does Thai. Ste is into Thai as well. So. You, oh you, really? You, you guys would definitely be good friends, I think. So yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Well, you know that that's how we solve arguments in my house because people love the pretty much. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I want to get into that part. So I love that, it. So I have to I have to learn the skill as well
0: well listen on that note you've been a great guest thank you for taking the time to join us and uh, i can't wait for everyone to, to hear this episode and learn about your journey and your your insights into into what it's like in infosec so thank you thank you